Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Getting ready to represent Christ to your world today. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Morning. Uh, if my voice sounds more sober this morning um, or more serious, it, it's because there is a there is a weightiness to what has happened in the city of Minneapolis and will now continue. Um, I don't expect those who are protesting police action that resulted in the death of George Floyd. I don't expect um, those protests to. Uh, to end anytime soon, um, and I'm not sure they should. So when we when we think about for what would we take to the streets? If you lived in Hong Kong, would you be taking to the streets against the actions of uh, the communist regime in China seeking to end uh, your autonomy? For what would you take to the streets? Um, and so. I, I do want us to ask that question today, and I want us to, with very, very sober judgment, um, consider the life and the death uh, of George Floyd. And you're going to say to yourself, well, we don't know a whole lot about George Floyd, um, but we do know this. He was black. And in the United States of America, as... Um, Mayor Jacob Fry uh, very clearly said, being black in America should not be a death sentence. And you shouldn't uh, be judged and your case adjudicated and executed on the street in front of witnesses, including a nine-year-old girl, for uh, trying to pass a fake $20 bill at a convenience store. That That is just not how this is supposed to work in uh in the land of liberty. So we're going to talk about this today. And I know, I know you're tempted to, you know, look away. I know you are tempted to change the channel. I get that. I get that. Um, But when I saw the little nine-year-old girl who was interviewed on the news, um, it occurred to me that we have a responsibility for the next generation, not just for ourselves and how we process um, what has happened and is now happening in the United States of America related to race. But we have a responsibility to, to sort of not pass this along again to another generation. Indeed, it should not be a death sentence to be black. Indeed, uh, the officers have been fired. Uh, I'm noting this morning they're now being publicly identified. I have some fear related to that. I think it's probably justified. There are calls for them to be held accountable, but what does that mean? Um, the word lynching is being used. What does that mean? It is tempting to look away, but we dare not. And so we're going to look straight into the face of it up next with Pastor Daryl Crouch. We'll be right back. Oh, I've seen fire. 
many days that I thought would never end. Pastor Daryl Crouch joining me now. He is the pastor of the Green Hill Church. He is also uh, he also writes at Cross Tide, uh, which is crosstide.org. Daryl, welcome back. Hey, thank you, Carmen. It's good to be with you. Um, I can't breathe. Mm. Um, I I feel like that is going to be um something we are going to remember individually and as a nation, and rightly so. Um, and I will tell you that watching the video um, brings my breath up short. We are talking about George Floyd, who died Monday evening while in police custody um, as a white police officer knelt on his neck and he pled for his life. Please, 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 please. Mm. Um, I'm, I am tempted to ask Daryl, um, sort of the broad, the really broad question, like, what is wrong with us? But I know the answer. And so I just want to wander around in this today with you. Um, how do we, how how do we resist the temptation to look away, get back to whatever it was we had on our agenda today and face this? Well, I think uh, thoughtful, faithful Christians cannot look away. We cannot afford that. We cannot um, think it's someone else's problem. And um, I, I do go back, and this is just basic parenting. This is basic just day-to-day life where Paul wrote to the Philippians, everyone should look not to his own interest but to the interest of others, that we consider others more highly than ourselves, that we that if it's your problem, it's my problem, that if it's your pain, it's my pain, and at some level we must uh, develop an ability to, uh, well, that that empathy is the outpouring of our love for neighbor, that we're able to, we can't understand someone else's life. We, none of us will walk in one another's shoes ever, but we can stop enough to care deeply and to look and to not look away, to look deeply into this issue and, and look in the mirror. I think it is sobering because uh, all of us are sinful, and we're capable of a lot of bad things. I mean, under the right circumstances, we're all capable of terrible uh, behavior and uh, disrespect for our fellow man and woman. And so I, I think this is a this should be a check for all of us who are people of faith. And we have to ask ourselves, what have I done to contribute to this in my community? Or as you mentioned in the way that we invest in the next generation. What what does this what does this look like? What's this conversation like around my dinner table? What what is this? Do my do my kids see uh, and hear from us um, us honoring other people more highly than ourselves? And and um, you know this is not a shock to the black community. This is you know white um, evangelicals or white people of faith. We we read this and we're like oh no I can't believe this. Well. My black friends are not surprised. This is not, this is not a shock. This should be out. This is outrageous, and we should be outraged rather. But, but um, this is, th- this is a way of life for so many of our neighbors. And um, so I, I think we we do have to look long, Carmen. I, I don't think we can afford to look away and be faithful to uh, Jesus. And then Daryl, I think that my. Um... I will tell you that there have been this, you know, this parade of of black and brown friends who have paraded through my mind over mm-hmm. uh, uh, over the course of the last day. Um, and I 
I mean, I'm wringing my hands right now. I don't, I don't mm-hmm. even know what to say. I don't even, I mean, I, mm. I want to not just look at this issue and look at myself and how we're dealing with it in our own home or in our own community, but I want, I want to find my anti-racist feet in mm-hmm. my relationships with my black and brown friends. And I will just admit to you that facing them right now, even, you know, even in, uh, even in the, like the safest of ways, right. Is, mm-hmm. it's like scary because I, there's a righteous rebuke coming and, and I think there should be. Mm. Well, and I, I can appreciate that. And I, I feel the same way. I've got friends that, you know, I want to text and, uh, after, you know, we're, we're just a couple of what, three weeks from, the uh, Mr. Arbery's uh, tragic mm-hmm. um, situation there in Georgia and that the video came to light just two or three weeks ago. And so we're not far out from that. And so on the heels of that, uh, our coalition of churches that you're familiar with here in our community, we issued a statement uh, against racism and uh, toward the health of our community. And one of the greatest phone calls that I think I've ever gotten, it was from a an older uh, black pastor in our community. And he called me and he said, Daryl, I just want to say thank you. Um, uh, we, we've, we've felt, uh, we know that you love us. We, we know that, you know, you care about us, but speaking up and standing up like that has cost men like you their jobs. And we, I just want you to know that folks in my community appreciate you speaking up. And uh, we had an incredible conversation, and he shared, you know, as late as the uh, the 1980s, he was being devi- de- denied service in, in normal, you know, everyday restaurants uh, because of the color of his skin. And so this that's in my lifetime, and uh, well into my lifetime. So um, I, I think our empathy toward our neighbors and toward people of color is so important, and and they are. Mat- sure enough, and, and they understand kind of the spot that we're in uh, through friendship and through relationship, I, I think it goes a long way for us to send a text or make a phone call. I, I think uh, everyone needs to know that they're loved during this time, and that is true no matter what color our skin is. And so I think those efforts go a long way. And I, I do think that they have, that, that our, our black brothers and sisters have perspective that we desperately need. So I think those phone calls open up conversations that uh, will make us cry. I mean, there's no, we won't feel good about ourselves or our communities when we get off the phone, but we will be edified uh, in those conversations. And so I, I just think those steps of relationship and friendship right now are so important. And it'd be like going to the funeral home at the death of a friend. I mean, we would go and hug necks and we would, we would console. And, um, and I think that's just so important. Pastor Daryl Crouch and I are going to continue this conversation in just a moment. We're going to talk about our dinner tables and we're going to talk about our communities. And we're going to talk about our houses of worship. Um, and we're also going to talk about three strange things about racism. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Lift every voice and sing to Continuing my conversation with Pastor Daryl Crouch. He is the pastor of the Green Hill Church. He is also 
Uh, he also writes at uh, Crosstide, and so I'm going to turn now to a blog he has posted at Crosstide.org. It's entitled Three Strange Things About Racism. Um, and, Daryl, you and I had already teed up this conversation about Ahmad Arbery um, and what's going on right now in Brunswick, Georgia, and across the state of Georgia, and because of that, across the country. Um, but then into that conversation enters um, this most recent event in Minneapolis related to George Floyd. And um, and so uh, I think that it's all sticky, like it all still, mm-hmm. you know, it's all relevant. It all makes it all makes sense. And we have to figure out a way to keep it at the forefront of the conversation and not let it just slide off of our screens and off of our radar and then back into um, into patterns that obviously are producing this in our culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. We have to be very intentional. There is no way around that. And I think we, um, well, for example, yesterday I, our, um, in my own community, the, 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 the neighborhood pool opened up. And so that was a big deal, obviously, in the wake of the virus and so on. And uh, there's some restrictions on our on our pool. Our, it's not an exclusive community in any way, but there's restrictions that you have to live in the community in order to use the pool. And that's not always been the case, but it is now with the uh, virus um, restrictions. And so uh, I noticed some some young men, some young black men walking into my neighborhood. Uh, they had their shirts off and they were clearly wanting to go to the pool. And I don't know if they did or not. I was just driving to work, but I had to there were some checks in my spirit about my attitude about that. I, I think all of us have to be intentional about the way that we look at other people, no matter who they are, whether it's a racial issue, which is a, a little more easy to identify, uh, or if it's a socioeconomic kind of uh, attitude that we have that separates people that are in different classes, different educational backgrounds, just the way that we p- look at people as image bearers rather than as um, people of uh, a class of people or a type of people. Um, You mentioned that uh, Mr. Floyd was um, asking for his life in his last moments, and he had uh, had tried to pass a a $20 bill or a counterfeit $20 bill. Um, He he is an image bearer, and so that that trumps— you know, just about everything else, right? I mean, there there is no there is no reason. There's nothing that he has done that denies him the respect and dignity of an image bearer, and uh, so so I just think we we have to be intentional about how we view people, not as strangers, not as threats, not as different, but as common image bearers uh, that we have in common, that we're just, just as they are image bearers, we are image bearers, just as we are image bearers, they are image bearers. And we all are worthy of dignity and respect as the image of God is stamped upon us. And that intentionality, that theological framework, Carmen, I think is incredibly important. And I think we, as I mentioned, I think I used the word theological sloth in my, in my article, but I think we, we're theologically lazy in applying um, the key doctrines, fundamental truths of God's Word to our daily lives. You note in this piece, um, Daryl, that, that one of the strange things about racism is how it gets nuanced more than other sins. Um, 
it's not alone in that. Mm. I think that sexual <clears throat> sin gets nuanced as well. Um, mm-hmm. um, talk with us about that. Talk with us about how racism gets nuanced more than other sins among, particularly, I mean, you know, you and I can say this out mm-hmm. loud, uh, among the white evangelical community yeah. in the United States of America. Yeah, there's, there really is. A, and I, and, and until I—here's—this is important. I'm a pastor of a predominantly white church in the South, and so—but uh, but it's fairly, uh, I don't know, open-handed church. I mean, we're, uh, you know, we're young people, older people. We sing new music, old music. It's a pretty, you know, open-handed congregation, no, no doubt about that, and an open-handed community. We—this is a great place to live uh, for a lot of different kinds of people, and it's a changing community just uh, 20 minutes from— um, downtown Nashville, a major uh, thriving city. And so uh, it's a neat place to live. But I noticed as I began to talk about race, as I began to mention some some things, uh, as you walk through the story of the Good Samaritan, for example, that the, the hero of the story was the ethnic half-breed that was seen and viewed with contempt by the Jewish uh, elite. And uh, when if you mention Peter's bigotry toward Gentiles, or if you mentioned Jonah's bigotry toward toward Nineveh and the people there, I just noticed as I brought those things up, just even in in explanation or in, in explaining and applying the text through the, the the preaching ministry, I just noticed some pushback. And if I mentioned abortion and how bad that is, nobody would say, "Hey, why are we talking about abortion?" We, you know, everybody knows abortion's wrong. I mean, who around here? you know, doesn't know abortion's wrong. Or if I speak of lust and sexual immorality, there's not a lot of debate about, uh, hey, is sexual immorality wrong or or do people struggle with lust? Nobody's asking those questions. They all understand the application of that. But when I mentioned race, um, I I had a young gentleman, a young man, young white evangelical study Bible kind of carrying, you know, uh, churchgoer, call me and say, hey, Daryl, I think I think we're going to look for a different church. Uh, it just seems like you, you know, you just talk about race a lot. And uh, do you really think if people raise their hand that that um, they that anybody would disagree that racism is wrong? And, and I was like, I was just dumbfounded that uh, that the contention was is that racism really isn't a problem. And I, I don't know why you're talking about it. And so. I think there there is a um, there's a nuance to this issue, particularly among white, as you mentioned, white evangelicals, that uh, reveals that we may not be as theologically robust as we like to think we are. Just because we carry the study Bible, or just because we know our way around the Scripture, or just because we listen to the right preachers on uh, the radio or a podcast or whatever, doesn't necessarily mean that we're applying the Scripture. Uh, as Jesus would would have it. And so I think that that's where I'm coming from. And it's been a real uh, evolution in my own ministry to understand how deep root, deeply rooted racial bias is in a predominantly white community. So, Daryl, you and I have to leave this conversation right here today. But um, it's notable that uh, that this it's not like this is, you know, stuck in the South. And yeah. I do, I do That's think right. that it's time for us to get beyond the idea that racism is some sort of southern problem. Mm. Um, you know, this took place in in Minneapolis, um, but we have certainly had other uh, 
events in other parts of the country. And you know, I've got a friend in D.C. who, you know, he's African-American and he, you know, his Twitter feed is full of examples of these kinds of things happening in northern cities. And, you know, and he he's advocating that we get beyond yeah. imagining that this issue is stuck in some other part of the country or in some other some other person's problem. Um, and so thank you for helping us just look at it straight in the face. Absolutely. That's a good word, Carmen. I appreciate you taking the time to keep looking at this today. Hey, blessings on everyone's Wilson. Um, we'll check in with you again soon. Thank you so much. That's Daryl Crouch. He's the pastor of the Green Hill Church. Check out what he is writing at crosstide.org. We'll be right back. Okay, so changing gears, talking about uh, how the churches are rehandling and planning on handling uh, returning to in-person worship services. You might be asking, or your church leaders might be asking, why do we even need to do that? Why we, why not just you know stay online? Well, because we need real people, real things, real community. Uh, digital is cool, but we actually need an analog church in a digital world. That conversation up next with Jay Kim. If you jotted down every word you spoke to your teenager in a given day, what would the tally look like? Heavy on the criticism side or heavy on the praise? Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Too many moms and dads get into the habit of tearing down their teen with the hope that they'll snap out of his teenage fog and shape up. However, I find that this method doesn't benefit either side. Mom and dads are anxious and angry, leaving teens confused, frustrated, and suffering from low self-esteem. Consider taking this challenge and count how many times you criticize your kids today. Then work hard at condemning less and praising more. Looking to make positive changes in your family? Check out the helpful resources from Mark Gregston online at parentingtodaysteens.org. joined by Jay Kim. Uh, Jay is a pastor of teaching and leadership at Vintage Faith Church in Santa Cruz, California, which is in Silicon Valley. Uh, he serves on the core leadership team of the Regeneration Project, and he co-hosts the Regeneration Podcast. Uh, so we want to welcome Jay today to Mornings with Carmen. Welcome, Jay. Oh, thanks so much, Carmen. I'm, I'm uh, really happy to be on. So we're thrilled to have you here today, um, specifically to talk about your book, analog church. Let's, first of all, let's define sort of the concept of analog church as maybe over and against digital church. Yeah, that's great. Um, yeah, by analog, I mean analog, the word analog in its most sort of base form. So I'm talking about spatial, embodied, you know, physical, tactile realities. So basically, I'm I'm arguing for a church that is physical, spatial, embodied, tactile, real people showing up in real places and real time um, to be changed in real ways. Okay, and then as soon as we say all that, and we're going to get back to each one of those um, realities, but as soon as we say all that, we also then have to acknowledge we're in this 
very strange period of time um, during which everyone is employing what I'll call social distancing. So let's Uh deal with that first. Um, Why don't Mm. you comment on, you know, how do we sort of retain the reality of an embodied church when we are intentionally separate from one another? Yeah, what a what a challenging and strange time, you know. It this has been sort of um you know, for us it, it's been I uh, the irony is not lost on me that I am preparing to release a book about uh gathering in real time in real space while our church like most churches across the country and many around the world have um lost the ability to do so. So what what we're telling our community is, you know, the, the blessing the world with our absence rather than our presence is the right thing to do. It's the wise and responsible thing to do. And uh, as we work together for the common good, driven by a love for our neighbors. So this is what we are going to do. But the mantra we've been sort of saying at our church is, listen, going digital, going online right now, is a temporary compromise, not an ongoing convenience. You know, this is the right thing to do right now for the common good, out of love for neighbor. Um, however, this is not going to be our reality forever. And and I think we're already beginning to viscerally feel that at our church. And, and as I look around the landscape, seems like many churches are feeling that, you know, grieving the loss of physical embodied presence with one another. And so, um, you know, while we're in this strange time, I think this is the right thing to do. But but at its finest, I think what it's going to do is drive us and motivate us to a deeper sense of awareness of our great need for one another in very, very real ways. So the book is Analog Church, Why We Need Real People, Places, and Things in the Digital Age. The author is Jay Kim. Um, and you can find him on Twitter at J. Kim Thinks. That's also his blog site, jkimthinks.com. Um, I, I absolutely concur. Uh, there's no question that we feel, the, the for those of us who are in the rhythm of gathering in physical community with other believers on a regular rhythm, not just on Sundays, but also maybe in our community group or in our Bible study yeah. or, you know, in some kind of... Um, local neighborhood fellowship, we are already feeling and grieving the loss of that. And I think one of the things that your book uniquely does is prepares us in advance for um, the opportunities we're going to have because other people didn't even know they craved it until Mm. they, until it was like, it's always been available, but they haven't missed it because they were so busy and distracted doing other things and now they crave it and they, and they sort of recognize that it's missing. Mm, Yeah, absolutely. I I think that's a great call. Um, And I'm, I'm hopeful that in this time I'm already beginning to see the seeds of that sort of awareness again, that's deepening and heightening and becoming much more visceral for people. And I'm hopeful that in this time, just like you said, not just those of us who are immediately grieving the loss of physical, tangible community around us, but those who maybe took that for granted and just saw it as another option in their wide variety of options in life. um, I hope that in this time, and and I'm hopeful that this is going to happen, that um, as they are now 
um, forced to live in a limited reality that is com- almost completely digital, that um, those realities, while they're incredibly helpful right now, you know, I, I won't deny that the technology is incredibly helpful for connecting us in some way. My greater hope is that this will deepen the awareness of um, our real need for one another. And I'm I'm beginning to see that happen. And that makes all the sense in the world. You know, in the beginning of the biblical story, we're told that God creates human beings out of dust and out of uh, the side of man comes woman. And um, this is, man, this is the stuff of earth, the literal stuff of earth. We're real human uh, embodied physical tactile creatures. And as such, we need real physical tactile realities. And I think we're beginning to sense that, especially in this um, crazy time that we're in right now. Yeah, there's a reason that the word that the word takes on physical flesh, and there's a reason that Jesus physically yeah. rises from the dead. Like the body matters, matter matters. Um, yes, yeah. Jay, let's um, let's do this. Can you define the word transcendence, and then tell us why mm. that is something that the church uniquely offers to the world? Yeah, uh, that's an idea I get into in the book. It's a really important idea for me, and I and I'm using the word transcendence. Um, uh, uh, over and above the idea of relevance, not that trying to be relevant is unimportant, um, but transcendence is something other. So by transcendence, what I simply mean is that which transcends the ordinary, um, expected, uh, sometimes mundane realities of just everyday life and human experience. And the reason that's important to me is that, you know, I think that the church, particularly in the digital age, the local church has worked so hard so often to pursue relevance, to make sure that everything we do looks, sounds, and feels like um, something relatable to the the digitally saturated masses, you know. So that includes our worship gatherings and the way we even think about the scriptures and the way we experience community and everything else. And I, I think that when we run hard and fast after relevance, um, that's not necessarily a bad thing. I think much of what we do has to, of course, it has to be relevant to the real lives of real people. However, the true gift of God through the local church is not primarily to be a relevant place, but rather to be a transcendent place, that the church has always been finest when she has zigged when the world zags, so to speak. And so I think that's something we need to recapture to begin thinking about our churches and everything that we do as opportunities to create something that transcends or invite people into things that transcend that which is just ordinary and expected and common to their everyday reality. And in the digital world, that means simple things like slowing down when the world speeds up. You know, it means communing with one another deeply when the world is just simply critiquing. Um, It means gathering more and more when the world is scattering into isolated individual experiences. So um, I think we have a great opportunity there to uh, offer the world a transcendent vision for what it means to be human uh, and, and to point them to Jesus in doing so. All right. In this time, uh, when it is time to scatter because of social distancing, we are preparing ourselves to gather again. And so we Mm. are looking at Jay Kim's Analog Church, um, and we will return to this conversation in just a moment. Your plans still prosper. You've not forgotten us. You're with us in the fight and the flame. 
Continuing my conversation with Jay Kem, among other things, he is the author of Analog Church. We are talking today um, about not only the book, but the reality of what it means to be gathered together as the people of God. And, you know, why does that matter um, in this digital age? So, Jay, maybe let's uh, let's touch on, I'm sure other people have pointed out the irony of a pastor from Silicon Valley, um, <laughs> you know, right? Writing about, encouraging, dreaming about, fomenting among us uh, this desire to not sort of be captivated by the digital, but instead, you know, sort of re-embody, re-manifest the body of Christ in the world as the church. Just talk about um, where you serve, the context in which you serve, and how people who really are digital natives also crave what you're talking about. Yeah, that's right. I, I've, uh, not only have I only served in the Silicon Valley in, in my entire 17 years of local church ministry, serving and leading in the local church. All those years have been spent at churches right here in the Silicon Valley, but I've grown up here. This is home. I uh, Basically, the entirety of my life um, has been in the Silicon Valley. And so I think, you know, it's interesting. One of the things that's done for me is um, because I live here in the epicenter of the digital age and all of its technologies, uh, I have a lot of family and friends who work in the digital world and in the technological field. Um, a lot. By a lot, I mean the majority of the people I know, actually, and and a huge segment of our population at our church, um, they work in some form or fashion in uh, digital technology and these companies that are creating and revolutionizing what it means to be online and and use digital tech to um, sort of advance human experience or whatever. So uh, one of the things that it's done for me, particularly in recent years, been really fascinating. I, I didn't expect this to happen, but it's been really helpful. Um, it's it's allowed me to see digital technology um for 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 what it really is, and what I mean by that is when I hold my my iPhone, uh, and by the way, I'm not a luddite. I'm not arguing for like get rid of all your technology and live as you know live as an Amish person. Although if that's what you're called to do, that's beautiful and good. But um, you know, I have an iPhone, and we're you know a laptop, and all those sorts of things. Um, but what it's allowed me to do is is begin to see these things beyond sort of the way most people experience them. So when I look at my iPhone, because I, I had so many conversations with friends who work on this thing and help have helped create this thing, um, often I'll stare at it and realize, you know, this is funny. I'm losing myself in all these digital applications and online platforms. But then sometimes I'll snap out of it and just think – you know, I'm sitting here in a room next to my family staring at a black rectangular, you know, metal plastic box. Like what is really happening here in in like a physical, tangible way? This is kind of strange. And um and that's been that's been really helpful in a strange way. Um and I think that's helpful for that would be helpful for most people is to begin to see these things that we hold in our hands uh and experience um in our daily lives. Uh, as more than just the sort of virtual experience you're having, to ask the question, what's physically, tangibly, in real time, in real space actually happening in those moments? And is it worthwhile? You know, is it worthwhile? Is that the best way to spend, um, to create sort of and cultivate uh, the story of your human experience? Is the best way to constantly be staring at this, you know, rectangular box 
in front of you. Um, so can I, so ask, there you, can I ask just a, like a straight up Bible question related to this? Because I am, yes. I am a, I want to hold my physical Bible in my hands and turn the pages and read the words and write in the margins. There's yeah. a lot of other people who seem satisfied to, you know, just read it on their phone. Um, mm. Is there a difference? Yeah, the, I, I think that there is a difference. And not just me, but I think that um, research is showing that there is a difference. So uh, while I am not against reading your Bible on your phone, you know, I, I have many friends who do that. I actually have friends who just listen to their Bible, you know, audibly on their long commute to work. And I'm not against those things. However, I would say, just like you're saying, Carmen, um, what you cannot replace is uh, the the unique and transformative work of sitting with like a paper Bible, particularly one that is formatted the way we're used to, where it's a long text format on each page and reading that um, all the way through. And the reason for that is because even neurological research is showing us that the, the reading platforms and mechanisms of the digital age, the way they're literally formatted on your phone or your laptop, it's designed to help us read swiftly and quickly, uh, not to read deeply. And um, like the, the actual design of the format is, is made for that, to read swiftly and quickly. And while that's beneficial if you're reading a quick news story or some thread on Twitter, the reality is the Bible is a library of 66 really ancient, really epic books that are designed to be read slow and steady. They're designed to be read um, for the long haul as long format narratives. And so if we're never reading the Bible that way, if we only read the Bible swiftly and quickly, like my verse for the day or whatever. That, that's really wonderful. But that sort of reading ought to be supplemental biblical reading um, to the primary mode of reading, which ought to be to sit for a while and, and immerse yourself in the long unfolding story of God through these beautiful 66 books. So, um, yeah, I think reading with the actual physical Bible in hand and maybe a highlighter and a pen is uh, a necessary thing for sure. All right, Jay, you and I have about a minute left. What um, what more do you want to tell our listeners about Analog Church, why we need real people, places, and things in the digital age? Yeah, more than anything, I hope that this book encourages you and inspires you and fills you with hope that exactly who you are and where you are and the people that you've been called to— um, God had a reason for that, and and that reason is unique. You do not need to be like you know the big mega church you see in the article or at the conference. Just be discover who you are and who the people are that God has called you to, and find in that place um, your unique calling. And if you do that, then the local church is going to be uh, more effective than ever. That's what I believe. All right, we want to invite you to check out Jay's website, jkimthinks.com, uh, the podcast, which is Regeneration Podcast, uh, the Regeneration Project, and if you're in the area, the Vintage Faith Church in Santa Cruz, California. Jay, thanks so much for joining us today on Mornings with Carmen. Oh, thanks so much, Carmen. Really appreciate it. It was a privilege. We'll be right back. So uh, a couple of personal notes this morning as we um, transition from one hour to the next. Um, 
I, don't, I can't even remember. I'm a bit of a haze. Paul, did I share with everybody that I now have two puppies, and so I'm, like, up uh, most no, of the night? you've not done yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we have two puppies, and um, they their names seem to be migrating, but I think they I think we've settled in on Hank because he's a cow dog, and if you're not familiar with Hank the cow dog, you should be. Um, so Hank and little Ann, little Ann from Where the Red Fern Grows. So um, Hank and little Ann are now part of our lives uh, whoo, am I tired? Okay, so that's going on. And then uh, asking prayers today for my mom. Um, her name is Ruth Ann, if you could remember her today in your prayers. Uh, so she's she's fine. She's 82. She's in the hospital. She had a heart attack. Um, and so uh, just prayers related to that and that we would have wisdom in discerning the path forward. Uh, and for my stepdad, who's 87, his name is Ron. So just uh, when you're thinking about it today, lift up my family in prayers, uh, Ron and Ruth Ann. And uh, as my sister and I, you know, tend to them and love them and care for them and talk about the real things of life um, related to this stage of life. I know that many of you are dealing with similar uh, age and stage realities in your own life. Uh, so for those of you in the sandwich generation I am with you in the midst of the squeeze. All right. So we got another hour coming up next. Bill English will be here. We're going to talk about, I'm going to describe it this way. We're going to talk about home economics for Christians. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.